Amen. Well, welcome to our study in Jeremiah this evening. What a beautiful closing song of our worship period with music. What, what a great selection of songs that you all chose as favorites. But open our, open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus in the text. So in Jeremiah 20, that is our prayer, and we want the Lord to open our ears so we might be quick to hear the message of the Lord. So let's pray that, and then we'll enter into our study of Jeremiah chapter 20. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to sing praise to our Savior Jesus Christ and to sing of his love and the great redemption, to think of how firm a foundation that we have. We are absolutely secure in our salvation. So we're thankful. We're humble, grateful creatures made in your image that that have been redeemed from the fall. And so we are privileged and grateful, and we give loyalty and allegiance and service to our Savior Jesus Christ, both now and forever. So we thank you for the text in Jeremiah 20, as there's so much going on in Jeremiah, ups and downs, um, a great range of emotions and, and things going on in this servant of yours. Help us to learn um, also how to deal with despair and difficulties, but also help us to see Jesus and how he, when he suffered, opened not his mouth. So we praise you and thank you for this time together in your word. Please, Father, strengthen our faith. Renew us for diligent service this week. And for those who are lost, please give salvation. Bring salvation to them when they put their faith in Jesus. We pray for your glory. Amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 20. This morning, we covered Jeremiah 18 and 19. Remember the potter's house? God spoke to Jeremiah one time saying, please go to the potter's house and wait for my message. We heard the message, and from there, he was told to go to the valley of Gehenna, the valley of the son of Hinnom, and there where children had been sacrificed to pagan gods, where blood had been shed of innocence, and where idol worship had taken place, there was a great prophecy as a flask, probably full of wine, shattered on the ground, putting shrapnel and clay pieces all over with what would look like blood, it was representative of all of the bodies of those from the ba- when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. Their bodies would fill that valley, just like the, the um, potsherd, all the pieces of clay pot were laying on the ground. Not in within 20 years, that would be real people lying there, dead from Babylonian soldiers. Did Judah learn their lesson? No. So we ended with Jeremiah the prophet. Remember, he's about halfway into his ministry. He's been preaching about 23 years. He has about another 20 to go. So he's not, he's not, he's not at the end. He's not nearing retirement. He's full-fledged in the middle of his ministry. Let's pick it up in chapter 19. When he stands from the valley of Hinnon, verse 14. Then Jeremiah came from Tophet. Tophet, remember, is a Hebrew word meaning burning. It's where those wicked sacrifices of children were given, and that was a garbage dump in the days of Jesus called Gehenna, like a lake of fire. So he left that valley of Tophet, and it says, verse 14, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house. Well, the Lord's house is the temple. He has now moved to the most holy site of all Jerusalem, where God himself at one time dwelt, And he's standing amongst the religious, the priests of his own family and kindred. And the Bible says, he said to all the people, verse 15, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, 
I will bring on the city and on all her towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. You know what God said through the prophet Jeremiah up on the Temple Mount? To everybody, and by the way, when he was in the Valley of Tophet, the Valley of Gehenna, um, very few people there. A small, small crowd. Now he's where there's a mass of worshipers, a large number of people. And he says, God is going to bring upon you every single doom that he pronounced. It will fall on you. There is no turning back. Judgment is coming. We still do not know who from, though. We know it's from the north, but we don't have a name yet. That's coming. So all we know is God is going to bring on this city and on all of Judah, every town, the doom that was pronounced against it. Why? Listen, they stiffened their necks against God that they might not hear my words. You know how you lead an animal? You lead an animal because their, their neck can move with a collar or a bridle or a bit. That's how you move an animal. If you stiffen your neck, you will not move. You will not bow down. You stiffen your neck. You cannot be led. You are obstinate, stubborn, rebellious, and that's the way the people were. Do you remember the golden calf? The golden calf was made after a, a likeness of a real, off of a real calf. And a real calf can move its neck. But the golden calf of, of Aaron's day, it had a stiff neck. So really, you become like what you worship. If you worship a stiffened calf, golden calf, then you will become stiff-necked and obstinate and stubborn as well. And so this is the news that Jeremiah preaches up on the Temple Mount. How was it received? Let's enter into chapter 20. Chapter 20, here's what happens immediately after. Now, Pasher, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. So the top guy on the Temple Mount, the one in charge, he hears it. Verse 2, then Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet. The idea is not like just a simple slap. The idea is a public beating. At this point now, Jeremiah has taken ridicule, mockery, all sorts of words, plots against his life, but he has never been, as far as we know, physically attacked. He has now been physically, publicly beaten. And Pasher put him in stocks. The Hebrew word for stocks it has the root meaning to be twisted. So probably they stretched out his arm, they tied him up, stretched his body out, put him in stocks so he couldn't move his limbs, and just let him suffer. Torturous, torturous pain to his body. These stocks were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it happened on the next day, so 25, 24 hours later, that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. He, Pasher is probably thinking, all right, Jeremiah, we played this game long enough. We're going to publicly beat you. We'll put you in stocks for 24 hours, and you're going to learn your lesson, and you're going to stop talking like you're talking. We're not talking judgment. We want to talk peace and prosperity. No negative message here. So Pasher is thinking, Jeremiah has learned his lesson. Oh, but you know what? You can put Jeremiah in stocks and chains, but you can't put the word of God in chains. And look at what Jeremiah does. Verse 3, on the next day that pastor brought Jeremiah out of the stocks, then Jeremiah said to him, the Lord has not called your name Pasher, but Magor Misaviv. Magor Misaviv. You know what Magor, okay, first of all, you want to know what pasture means? Pasher has the root of 
peaceful, tranquil, calm. Nice days with relaxation and sun and nice breezes, not a cloud in the sky. Lovely days, that's Pasher. Do you know what Magor Misaviv means? It means terror on every side. Fear and terror on every side of you. So Jeremiah, how does he respond? He's like, God gave you a name change. You're no longer Pasher. You're Magor Misaviv. Oh man, that spread through the Temple Mount. Pasher is terror on every side. By the way, when the Babylonians come, do you realize how scary it will be? The Babylonians are going to sit outside Jerusalem. They're going to conquer every city and every village. And for those of you who have traveled Israel with us, they will have conquered every village and town in the south. And the Babylonians will take Jerusalem last. That's the capital. They will, they will besiege the city. Parents will have to, they will be forced to eat their children to stay alive. Awful, terrible things will happen. They will bust down the gates of that, of that, of that city eventually. And they will go in and they will take captive many. They will leave some and kill most. I mean, this is terror on every side. This is, this is a bad thing. Verse 4, Jeremiah goes on, For thus says the Lord, Behold, here's a prophecy for Pashur. I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their friends. Oh, I'm sorry. And they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. Jeremiah says, Pasher, when the Babylonians, when this army comes in through the gates of Jerusalem, you're going to see your friends dead on the streets, and your eyes will see it. You will be fearful, and, and you'll be terrified. But what happens to this man, Pasher? Do we want to know what happens to him? Here's what the Bible says. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of who? Babylon. All right, this is the first time, first time ever that Judah gets the knowledge of who the enemy is. For 23 years, Jeremiah has said, an army from the north, an army from the north. Which one? An army from the north. Finally, in this pr pronouncement against Pashur, for the first time, God says, I am sending Babylon to destroy you. All right, this is huge. We need to know this. So now Babylon is on the rise, and the Babylonians will come. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. None of this is good news. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city. Now, Jerusalem, even at this time, was still wealthy. They had the temple, all the temple furnishings. They had everything. All of its produce, all of its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give into the hand of their enemies, who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. Now, there are reliefs and structures of Nebuchadnezzar taking things from the temple, the treasuries of the king, and hauling them to Babylon. This actually happened. Jerusalem was left desolate, impoverished, burned to the ground, death everywhere. This is why the book of Lamentations was written. Read Lamentations, the four chapters of Lamentations. This is Jeremiah writing four chapters of a song as he sits and looks at the entire city leveled. Can you imagine if Duluth was leveled where there was not one house standing, there was not one tree that hadn't been lit on fire or cut down, there was not one person that hasn't been taken captive or killed by the sword. Downtown leveled, just rubble, and, and all on fire. Jeremiah weeps. No wonder why he weeps. But do you know what he says in Lamentations 3, 22? 
Oh, Lord, without your mercies, we would be consumed instantly. But, but thank you, Lord. Your mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. Because God said, I will rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And he will. He will someday. Let's keep going. Verse 6. And you, Pasher, here's a specific detail, and you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house, meaning his wife and family and grandchildren and maybe cousins, aunts and uncles, whoever's living in his house, shall go into captivity. So what happens to Pasher? Does he die in the Babylonian battles? No, he stays alive and he gets transported a thousand miles north or 800 miles north to Babylon. He will go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon and there you shall die. And be buried there, you and all your friends, to whom you have prophesied lies. Oh, wow. This is the word of the Lord. Well, now we're going to see in the last part of this chapter the ups and downs of ministry. You know, ministry has its highs and lows, even on the same day. Take your Bible. Let's turn to the New Testament for some encouragement in the New Testament. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So hold your place there. We'll be back in Jeremiah 20 in a moment. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul has been under the sentence of death. He has been attacked. He has been shipwrecked. He has been beaten for his faith. He has been imprisoned numerous times. He has had sleepless nights. He has not been able to eat because of lack of food. You could go on and on and on with the Apostle Paul, how he has suffered. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we get this, verse 7. But we, we New Testament believers, have this treasure. The treasure is the gospel. We have this treasure, the gospel, the glory of God. We have Jesus Christ in earthen vessels. So do you see the tie to Jeremiah? The earthen vessels? You and I are just clay pots. We're expendable. But praise God, we have something in us that is eternal. It is the life of Christ. So we have this treasure, the gospel, Jesus Christ, his glory, in earthen vessels. Here it is, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Do you know why God loves to deal with humans like you and I that have limitations? We walk, we get tired. We lift things, we, we get tired. We can't lift things, they're too heavy. We have so many limita limitations. God gave us these earthen vessels to show how dependent we are on him. So that when we do things, it is because of the glory of God and the excellence of his power and wisdom, not of me. I have no ability to do great things or anything in this church. None. None. It is anything that is done for the Lord is all of his power and glory, and I get no credit. Zero. I am simply a clay vessel, hopefully clean and fit for the master's use, which is our, all of our goals. So then look at verse 8. Here's what Paul says. We are hard-pressed on every side yet not crushed. The idea of hard-pressed, it almost means like you are, you are strangled where you can't even take a breath. You're like, I am hard-pressed on every side. I can't move. I can't go forward. I can't go backward. I don't know what to do. And, and yet, while at the same time he's being hard-pressed on every side, he is not ultimately being crushed. So no matter what you go through as a believer, no matter how hard-pressing it is, no matter how difficult and trying, you will not be crushed. You have the life of Christ in this earthen vessel. Paul goes on. We are, we are perplexed. Do you know what it means to be perplexed? To not know what to do. Do I go here? Do I go there? Do I preach this? Do I not? What do I do? Where do I go? I'm, I'm perplexed. 
I'm not sure what to do right now. I was just with the beast in Ephesus. Uh, everybody has departed from me. All my friends have left me. I'm all alone. Where do I go? What do I do? He's perplexed. But do you know when the world gets perplexed, what it brings them to? It brings them to despair and ultimately suicide. They're so confused about what to do, they can't do anything. So they're perplexed. And, and, but Paul says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Verse 9, we're persecuted. The idea, the word persecuted in the Greek, it's the idea of being chased by a wild animal or an army. We are being persecuted, but not forsaken. God never leaves us alone. He's always our refuge and our strength. And then, look at this other dichotomy here. We are struck down. We are constantly being struck down, but we're never being destroyed. Do you see the ministry, what the ministry is like? It's hard times pressed upon you. It's perplexing, lots of perplexing things. There's lots of persecution and a lot of being struck down, but the, the enemy never gets the victory. They just never, they just never, never win. So one more text in 2 Corinthians. Go over to chapter 6. After a long list of sufferings of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, he gives us some paradoxes. You know, you know what a paradox is? It's when two things happen at the same time that seem to be totally against each other. Like jumbo shrimp. Who sells jumbo shrimp? How, jumbo means big and shrimp means small. How do, how do you have a jumbo shrimp? Well, here, these are two things that happen at the same time in our life, but we have no, we can't, there's a tension we can't understand. So Paul says in verse 8, he says, My ministry is characterized by honor and dishonor. Some people gave honor to the Apostle Paul for his ministry and the word to them, but at the same time, he was being dishonored. It's true for all of us. At the same time that you're being honored by some, you have people that will stab you in the back and dishonor you. He says in verse 8, At the same time, I'm being spoken about by evil report and good report. Some people are saying, the Apostle Paul, he's a fraud. He's a phony. We don't like him. Evil report. And at the same time, people are like, he's a true apostle. He's a blessing to our church. He's helped us. And then as deceivers, some people called Paul a liar. Paul, you're a liar. You don't know what you're talking about. And other people said, no, he's true. Look at verse 9. As unknown and yet well-known. Hey, in the Roman Empire, Saul of Tarsus, the little apostle Paul, he really was an unknown in the empire. I, like, I, I, try, I can't even think now of a famous person in uh, Hollywood or music, I, but whoever they might be. Um, everybody I know is from the 70s or 80s. Um, but whoever the ne- number one name person is, like everybody would know their name, Paul was not one of those. Now, we have a capital named what? St. Paul, because after the word of God, he became famous. But before that, it was just... A traveling preacher. Nobody cares about traveling preachers. So on one hand, he's totally unknown. And yet on the other, he's well known at the same time. Like God knows him and loves him and cares for him. As dying, like every day he was under the sentence of death to be killed for his faith. And and yet he's alive. God has kept him alive. As chastened and yet not killed. Look at verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Do you know when you serve other people, on the same day you can be crying with sorrowful tears and then later in the day be rejoicing with another. It's like 
You wake up and you've got a hard thing to deal with in the morning and you're crying with someone. And then in the afternoon, you're meeting with somebody and you're rejoicing on the same day. As sorrowful, yet you're rejoicing. As poor, none of us here have many worldly goods. As poor, yet you're making many rich spiritually. As having nothing, as having nothing of the possessions of this world, and yet... At the same time, we actually possess all things. You know, my bank account, we're, we're, we're doing fine. Just God has given us a nice home, and we have a little savings and um, a little plan for retirement. But So praise God for little things that, that God has blessed us with. We don't, by any means, we are not rich. But in, a, in another sense, I own everything. Why? Because my father does, and I'm my father's son. So my father, the Heavenly Father, not Jeremiah Weida, Jerry Weida, but, but my Heavenly Father owns all things, and so I own all things in that sense. Do you see what's going on here? So now let's finish off Jeremiah 20. Because in Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah goes from the depths of despair and agony to the greatest heights of joy and exhilaration. And that's what ministry is all about. That's what serving the Lord is all about. Look at verse 7. Oh, can I tell you what a key word is? I always look for keywords, and this jumped out on me right away when I when I, I applied myself to study. The keyword is prevail. The, what's another word for prevail? To prevail against means to win. So to prevail is winning. So here it is, verse seven. Oh Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. Who won in this fight between God and Jeremiah? God won. God prevailed. See the word prevailed there. But what's he really saying here? Oh, he says at the end, I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. The word idea of derision means he, Jeremiah daily was being ridiculed and mocked. Daily. Not once every 10 years, but daily. Jeremiah was being mocked and ridiculed. Look at the verse 7 again. Oh, Lord, you tricked me. The word induced me, it's pate, pate, peta in the Hebrew, and it means to be tricked, to be seduced. This is not a kind thing to say to God. God, you tricked me getting me into ministry. You gave me a ministry and it's been nothing but problems and hostility and ridicule and mockery. I don't want a thing to do with it. I'm angry, God. You tricked me. And I was persuaded. So I went, so I be, I went into the ministry. Uh, you are stronger than I and, I and you have prevailed. God, you won this one. You wanted me in ministry. You put me in ministry. You got your way. You're stronger than me. You win. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. Verse 8. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. So do you see what's going on? Jeremiah's like, God, you tricked me, putting me into ministry, and I've had nothing but ridicule and mockery. Your word is the cause of all of this, so I'm not going to say your word anymore. I'm not going to speak your name, Yeshua. I'm not speaking anymore, making mention of your name. I'm done. I quit ministry. You ever been there? I'm not going back to church. Oh. I, I talk to people, and they're like, the church has hurt me. I'm like, forgive and get over it. Get back in church. But the church is bad. 
Yeah, well, when you burn a piece of toast, you, you don't like never have toast again. You always put another piece in and, and have toast again. So get back to church and be involved and strengthen the church and help the church and encourage the church. Jeremiah says, I will not make mention of him, meaning the Lord, nor speak any more in his name. But his word, now look at this, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. That's the same word prevail. Same word. Same Hebrew word. I could not. I could not win. So God wins. And then in this verse, in verse 9, Jeremiah can't win. He's like, I, I, want, I don't want to ever mention the name Jesus again. But man, when I read the word, it's like there's a fire in my heart and it is blazing so much. I've got to get it out. I've got to tell people about the Lord. Now, how many of you get that when you read the Bible? Don't raise your hand, but I hope you get that. Like, the more that I read the Bible, I remember when I first started pastoring, some people said, Brian, that fire's going to go out and you're not going to be doing, you're not going to be as excited as you are now. It's just a phase you're going through. And I was determined not to let that happen. And you know how, you know how, you know how I've kept my fire for 30 years? It is by being in the Word. And the Word is like a fire in my heart. And whenever I feel like I'm gonna, I want to quit, get back in the Word. And it's like, I can't. I cannot quit. I've got to keep going. I, it wearies me to hold back the word of God. I cannot do that. Verse 10, for I heard many mocking, fear on every side. You know, whose name was terror on every side? Pasher's name, right? Magor Misaviv. So now people are calling Jeremiah that. They're, making, they're mocking Jeremiah saying, Jeremiah, you're Magor Misaviv. Jeremiah's Magor Misaviv, and they're mocking him, saying, Your fear on every side. Report, they say, and, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling. They're all watching Jeremiah. They want to watch Jeremiah fall, saying, Perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him. See the word prevail? These are the enemy. They want to see Jeremiah fall, and then they want to kill him with a bad testimony. So they're like, we will prevail against you. We are going to kill you. So God wins over Jeremiah. Jeremiah can't win when it comes to the word of God. He's got to get it out. The enemy is saying, we're going to win, Jeremiah. We're going to kill you and get rid of you once and for all. Then we will take our revenge on him. Look at verse 11. See, these are the ups and downs in Jeremiah's life. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and what? Will not prevail. Who wins? Jeremiah's like, God, you are awesome and mighty. That doesn't sound like the same Jeremiah that said, I'll never mention his name again. See how he's acting weird? He's, I'll never mention his name again. Lord, you're awesome and mighty. <laughs> See, it's prevailing. Are the, is the enemy going to prevail? Jeremiah says the enemy will not prevail. Who, let me ask you a question. Who can close this church? Who can actually close this church? God can. Could this church stay open until the rapture? Yes.